0: Welcome to the weekly podcast of Upper Room Christian Fellowship in Lincoln, Nebraska. Thank you for listening. We're in Romans chapter 7. And if you would turn there, and if you are able, stand for the reading of the word. We are in gold mine territory. Now, what's interesting is that we went from chapter 6 that tells us that we are dead to sin. And alive in Christ. Sin has no more dominion over you. You are free. And chapter 8, hold on to your hats, because we're going to go into heaven spiritually. Oh, oh, not really in the sense that we'll be in heaven, but I mean, it'll be heaven on earth, if you will. God living through us. Such power and such a a dynamo thing. But here's the thing. In between six and eight is seven. Now, the reason why that is such an obvious statement, one, and two, it also shares something else with us. It's a hard chapter. It's a very hard chapter. One that as we get into, you will relate to. Not today. But it's also one that many say that pastors won't touch. Because it gives you a key to freedom. And it all depends on how you handle that key. John Gray Barnhouse said this, and we will read it. Romans 7 is one of the most misunderstood chapters in the Bible, because most people read it with the attitude, it can't mean what it says. The theme is that the believer is no longer under the law of God, because he has been joined to Christ in his resurrection. Like an inexperienced swimmer, the average Christian stands in terror of such deep water as a complete abandonment to the grace of God. He fears to be borne along on the will of God in his daily life, to cast himself completely on the direction of the Holy Spirit. But once he gets over the panic of such self-abandonment, he finds that the grace of God sustains, carries, cradles, And calms him. And he lives eternity in time. This is the purpose of Romans 7. To help the willing believer to cast themselves into the depths of grace. Ready to dive in? Romans 7. Verse 1. Now concerning the things of which you wrote to me, it is, I'm in Corinthians, You're going, where is he at? Where is he at? Let's try this again. Romans chapter 7, verse 1. Or do you not know, brethren, for I speak to those who know the law, that the law has dominion over a man as long as he lives. For the woman who has a husband is bound by the law to her husband as long as he lives. But if the husband dies she is released from the law of her husband. So then, if while her husband lives, she marries another man, she will be called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she is free from that law, so that she is so she is no adulteress, though she has married another man. Therefore, my brethren, you also have become dead to the law through the body of Christ, that you may be married to another, to him who is raised from the dead, that we should bear fruit to God. For when we were in the flesh the sinful passions which we were aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit to death but now we have been delivered from the law having died to what we were held by so that we should serve the newness of the spirit and not in the oldness of the letter Father we just pray as we come before you this morning that you lord would minister these truths to us Help us as your children have open hearts to receive your truth this morning. And help each of us, Lord, learn to swim in deep water. Trusting you in all things. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Now, as I said before, just a few verses back, just to get the momentum going here. Remember in verse 11 of chapter 6, Paul wrote, Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. And verse 14 says, For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. In verse 18, he wrote, And having been set free from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. In verse 22, he went on to say that, but now having been set free from sin and having become slaves of God, you have your fruit to holiness. And the end everlasting life, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And then we jump into verse 1. Or do you not know, brethren, for I speak to those who know the law, that the law has dominion over a man as long as he lives? Picture this guy. In fact, on my street, you see it all the time. He goes whizzing by on his motorcycle. And he pops a willy. I've actually seen this. This is why I'm bringing it up. He's going at least 80 miles an hour. Yeah, seriously. Popping a willy. And you're thinking, the kid's nuts. Now, let's say, because every time I see this, I say, oh, where's the cops when you need them now? But imagine, if you will, a cop sees this and goes after him. And this is high-speed Chase. Now, the sadness of this is, is the kid crashes and he dies. Will that police officer go over there, see that he's dead, and then handcuff him and put him in the back of his car and arrest him? And you're saying, what are you, nuts? No, of course not. If the man is dead, now he is not Responsible for the breaking of the law, because he's dead. That's the same idea here that Paul is trying to get across. Do you not know, brethren, for I speak to those who know the law, that the law has dominion over a man as long as he lives. For the woman who has a husband is bound by the law to her husband as long as he lives. But if the husband dies, and is released from the law of her husband... So then, if while her husband lives, she marries another man, she will be called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she is free from that law, so that she is no adulteress, though she has married another man. Therefore, my brethren, you also become dead to the law through the body of Christ, that you may be married to another. Now... I was going to go through 12 verses, but then I thought, you know what? I'm going to really break this down. Not that it's that difficult to understand, but it's that difficult to receive. If you will. And for some of us, you have to just go with the story, okay? You're married to Mr. Perfect. Yes, guys, I know, but go with it. You're married to Mr. Perfect. You wake up in the morning, you open your eyes, and there he is, laying next to you smiling. And as you're staring at him, you notice something. His teeth are white as snow. His hair, even though he slept through the night, is perfect. Not one little strand out of place. And then the one thing that just really amazes you is that his breath after a a long night's sleep is mentally fresh. And you're going, wow, that's my hubby. I'm married to Mr. Perfect. Mr. Perfect. And some of you wives are looking at your husbands and going, but again, go with it here, folks. He jumps out of bed, jumps out of bed, And you thinking, i got to start this day. Not him. He's cheerful. He's singing. He's whistling. He goes and puts his clothes on. And you're looking at his clothes. You didn't do it. But they're all nicely pressed. He's looking good. That's my husband. It's Mr. Perfect. But he goes downstairs and he fixed his own breakfast. He doesn't need you. He does it himself. Now, you desire eggs and bacon, but you go down there, not Mr. Perfect. He's eating the perfect breakfast. Granola with skim milk, a half cut of grapefruit, no sugar on top. And if you will, V8 to make sure he gets it all. No coffee, that's caffeine. And then every morning he leaves at the same time every morning to get to work. Why? Because he's Mr. Perfect. Perfect. And when he gets to work, he's there in perfect timing. And when he's at work, everybody just looks at him and admires him because he's just perfect. Everything he does is perfect. The jobs he does is perfect. People always go to him because he's perfect. And then he comes home. Now you know something. What you know is is that he'll be home at 545, and what he'll do is he'll change his clothes... He'll get on some comfortable clothes. He'll get the newspaper. I know that's old school. Gets the newspaper, sits down in his easy chair, and he'll read for fifteen minutes. But then he expects dinner to be at six o'clock on the dot. So as he gets done eating, or reading, excuse me, he goes to the table. But the dinner is not ready for Mister Perfect. See, you 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 waited a little too long. And so Mr. Perfect doesn't say anything. He just sits there. And now you're feeling the stress. So you quickly get the seven-course meal that you have prepared for Mr. Perfect. And you set it down and everything. And he opens it up and he notices something right off the bat. The parsley that you garnish the plate with is wilted. He just kind of gives you that nodding look kind of pushes it to the side. And then you sit there and you wait and you watch Mr. Perfect's expression as he eats the entree. First, the meat. And he says it's a little overcooked. And then he eats the vegetables and they go, they're a little undercooked. And again, he's Mr. Perfect. So you got to realize everything has to be perfect. Now, the thing is, is see, this goes on every day. And sometimes she, he comes home, Mr. Perfect, and he, and he looks at you, and he notices a hair strand kind of floating, and your makeup's not quite on, and he just kind of gives you that look. And you're realizing Mr. Perfect is driving you nuts. And this can't go on anymore. You can't take it anymore. Mr. Perfect is driving you crazy. So what do you do? You go to the town hall and you express your desire to divorce Mr. Perfect. But the problem is everybody knows Mr. Perfect and you have no disagreement that you can bring that's worthy to be led to divorce. And they tell you that. You can't divorce Mr. Perfect because he's perfect. So then you start to think, how am I going to get out of this? Because if I don't, I'm going to die. And then you think, wait a minute, I know what I'll do. One of us has to die and it's not me. So the next evening, as he's drinking his celery juice, because he's Mr. Perfect, you put arsenic in it. And you watch him drink it all the way down. But the problem is, Mr. Perfect is in perfect health. And everything that is inside him, his organs work perfectly. So it filters out of his body and no problem. And you blow the hair that just fell from your face up and said, Oh my, what am I to do? How can I go on with Mr. Perfect? He's going to kill me. Because everything has to be perfect. And I'm tired. I can't do it. So as you're worrying about this, as you're thinking about it, you start taking long walks. Even when it's downpouring. It's raining. You are just continually think, what can I do? What can I do? And what happens is you get sick. But not just sick. You get deathly sick. And while he's at work you're laying in your bed and you're realizing something. I'm dying. But then the thought comes to your mind. I have an out. I won't be married to Mr. Perfect anymore. I'll be free. See, Romans 7 here is not about marriage. It's talking about a typical marriage in law. It's about not having polygamy, just one husband. The point is this, you, we all had one husband, it was the law. And law is perfect. And law continued to show us that we're not perfect. And in our own ache and pain and sorrow came another, Jesus Christ. And see, with him, we died. And in dying, we died to the law. We died to sin. We're now married to another. Are you with me? No more the law. Are you starting to understand why many pastors are afraid to teach this? You're free. You're free to live as you so choose. But hold that thought, we'll continue with that. But having been freed from the law, as Galatians says, three, chapter 3 verses 10 and 11 says, For as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not continue in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. But that no one is justified by the law in the sight of God is evident, for the just shall live by faith. And then in verse 13 it says, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, Curses everyone who hangs on a tree. So Christ has become our all to save us from the law. You with me? You are free. Look at verse 5. For when we were in the flesh, the sinful passions which were aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit to the death. The law arouses the sinful passions of the flesh. Did you know that? If we said, do not touch this pulpit, put a sign here, some of you, and especially the kids, are going to come up and start touching it. Why? Because... There's a sign there that says, "Don't touch." So I'm going to touch." Do you really want to see? Well, every it happens every spring. It's called "Spring Break." These goofy kids start breaking the law. Why? Because there's laws and they think it's fun to break them. I remember seeing this one uh, young man get arrested on the beach, and he's handcuffed. And they put him in the car. But they didn't lock it. Their mistake. But then they're talking to the crowd to settle down. It's a big crowd. But it's a big beach. So this guy jumps out of the car and starts running on the beach. with His hand's like this. And it's sand. And if you ever ran in sand, it's not very easy to do. Meanwhile, all the young people are cheering him on. Yeah! Run! dude, Run! And then you see the cop run over and tackle (laughs) him. Oh, what a thrill it was. What was he doing it for? For the thrill of breaking the law. See, the law, all it did was arouse the sinful nature in us. And we'll get deeper into this next week. Look at verse 6. But now we have been delivered from the law, having died to what we were held by, so that we should serve in the newness of the Spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. My sinful nature could not keep the law. In fact, it held me back. I cannot keep it in my flesh. But See, now I died to that which was holding me back. I can now serve in newness of the Spirit. Not in my flesh trying to keep the written law, but... It's because some things have changed. In Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 33, it says this. The Lord says, I am going to do a new covenant. I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write them on their hearts. I will be their God and they shall be my people. See, you and me as believers... God has written His law on our hearts. Why? Because we're married to another now. Or we were married to Mr. Perfect, now we're married to the Lord. Or, if you will, Mr. Love. See, when you wake up in the morning, He's there to greet you and tell you, I love you. Even though your hair is all messed up, your smile has got still teeth and food in it from last night and you didn't clean them. And your breath smells like that of a dragon. He's still looking at you saying, I love you. You are the most cherished person in the world to me. Uh, But see, he doesn't just rush off to work. What he does is he goes into the living room and and he sets, if you will, breakfast right there in the living room and so that you can just stare out the window, which is a beautiful view, but he wants to communicate with you. He wants to talk to you. He wants to look at your face, girls. He wants to look at you and listen to you. What you're thinking, what you're feeling. Why? Because he's Mr. Love. That He loves you completely. That He loves you infinitely. That He loves you with a love that's eternal. And because you're married to Him, there's nothing you can say or do that will separate you from His love for you. All you need to do is just receive. Just accept it. I'm loved. But see, when you do that, something begins to happen. One writer wrote this. Do this and live, the law demands. It gives me neither feet nor hands. A better word the gospel brings. It bids me to fly. And it gives me wings. What does it mean? It means this. That you are now loved. Everything that has ever happened, everything that's going to happen, everything that is happening, does not change the fact that His love for you is permanent. Now, I know I've been hitting this a lot because I think it's one of the key pillars Of our faith to grab hold of. It's to understand God's love for you. Because what that does is it frees us from trying to be something we are not. It frees us from trying to be loved. Because you are loved. In fact, Ephesians put it this way. If you want, you could turn there. Ephesians chapter 5. I know it's very familiar verses. Why don't you turn there with me? This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Stop. See, what Christ desires for each of us is the understanding that there's no more judgment upon us. Which we'll get into even more so in chapter 8. But at his desire is that you sit in fellowship with him. Now, you might be thinking, what does that mean? I don't really have that much time in the morning or whatever. But it's the mindset that he wants to spend time with you. Because in spending time with you, what he does is that you stare at his face and there's a wonderful transformation that begins to happen, Second Corinthians 3.18. Is that you become more and more like him. See, not to do. He's not telling us to do. He's telling us to be. To sit. To learn of me. To abide in me. To be at home with me. Remember what he said in John? He said, as the Father loved me, I also loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you have abided in my love just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. See, in your mind, you were thinking, wait a minute, that means I have to read more. That means I have to pray more. That means I have to go to church more. I have to go to Bible studies more. I have to read more books. I have to do this. I have to do that. And he says, no, sit down and look at me. Get to know me. Now, it's true that you get to know him by opening up the Bible and sitting with him. It's true that you get to know Him by talking to Him by prayer. It's not to get, it's already been given. Now, there's nothing wrong with intercessory prayer. That's not the point. The point is, it's all been given already. That when we sit down to read, it's Him desiring to show Himself to you and reveal His Word to you. To remind you that you are loved. To remind you that there's nothing you can do that will separate him from you. See, there's a different, if you will, uh what's the word I want? Motivation, I guess? Inspiration? But you're loved. What keeps you from sitting down? I'll tell you, because I know it myself. Me! My flash. The law. See, sometimes I don't feel like I'm worthy enough. I'm not worthy? He's not gonna listen to me? I blew it. Whatever. Lost my temper. Or, I was impatient. Or, you filled the list. That's the one lie Satan likes to tell you. You're not worthy. Of course you're not worthy. None of us are, but he still did it. He's the one that paid the price because he loves you. Then there's the other fear and the other stress that each of us goes through. Is Sometimes we just want to do what we want to do and take advantage of it. He's got to forgive me. So again, what that does is it separates the fellowship, not the love. He still loves you, but you're not receiving it and you're not accepting it. Not being worthy. Just tired of pursuing. And yet through all this, God is directing us into his presence. To understand that love that he has for us. That it wants that he wants it to be real and manifest itself in our own lives. It's not about keeping of the law anymore. Paul writes in Colossians chapter 2, verse 14 through 17, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross, having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them triumphing over in it. So let no one judge you in food or drink or regarding a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath, which are shadows of things to come, but the substance is of Christ. It's not in keeping the law. It's not being legalistic. It's not how many times you read the Bible. It's not how many times you pray. It's not if you're an elder or you're not. It's not if you're a deacon or you're not. It's not if you're a pastor or you're not. It's not if you're a missionary or you're not. Or if it's not that you're not helping out in the children's ministry or not. It has nothing to do with any of that. That's the only the outflow of a truth. And the truth is, is God loves you. Will you accept it? God loves you. Will you receive it? God loves you. And from that becomes a pool. A pool of truth. A pool of power. A pool a motivates. I am so loved, so how can I not but love? I am accepted, so how can I not accept others? It's God's love that is the motivator. and It's God's spirit that's the provider. See... Paul will go on to say in Corinthians, And such were some of you, but you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And by the Spirit of our God, all things are lawful for me, but all things are not helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. I believe it was Augustine. He said, Love God and do as you please bold statement. Love God and do as you please. But then he goes on to say, but if you love God, you do what He pleases. What do you require of me, Lord? Just love me. But Lord, sometimes I don't feel that love. I didn't tell you to feel it. I've already displayed it. Just receive it. But Lord, you don't know what I'm going through. Yes, I do. Sometimes I think you don't love me just by what I'm going through. No, you don't understand. Because see, I'm transforming you. I'm changing you. I'm using everything that you go through for my purpose and my glory. Do you trust me? Can you make it a little easier, Lord? That doesn't prove my love. Can you give me a few things I want? Again. See, love is accepting and receiving what I have to give you and what I've already given. But it's also trusting me, the one that loves you, that I have your best interests always in mind. Regardless of what you're going through. Can you accept that? And can you trust the fact that I am changing you? I'm making you new. To be free. Free what? Free from you. Free from your struggles. Free from your stress. Free from your circumstances. I'm not saying it's all gonna blow away, but it's the realization that this God who loves you is gonna see you through whatever challenges. So that you may draw closer to Him. And that you may give glory to the one that deserves it. Now see, that brings us to really a conclusion. See, it's either living in the flesh, or it's living in His Spirit. Because if you will, that's what it basically comes down to. If you look again at verses 4 and 5, if you notice, oh, I'm in the wrong chapter. But if you notice, it goes back to the fruit to God in verse 4. The fruit to death in verse 5. It's either the fruit to God or the fruit to death. Really, in conclusion, if you will, turn with me to Galatians chapter 5. there? Look at verse 16. I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another, so that you not do the things that you wish. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousy, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, rivalries, and the like, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in times past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Stop for a second. May I make this clear again? There is nothing in your flesh that you do will ever make it into heaven. Nothing. Verse 22, But the fruits of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such there is no law. And those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us walk in the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. So what's the byproduct? The byproduct is everything that your soul craves. Acceptance. God saying, I accept you. Second is, I love you. Live in my love. I rejoice over you. In fact, Zephaniah 3.17 says, He sings over us. Look it up. Zephaniah 3.17, you're going to hear God the Father sing. And it's over you. Rejoice, love, joy, peace. Shh. ever do that with your kid? Oh, frantic. And you're just going, shh. Settle down. It's all right. You're all right. God does that with us. Peace. Patience. Aren't you glad God's patient with you? See, see God's saying, I'm patient with you now. Live in my patience. See, really, if you will, live in my love, you'll understand love. Live in my joy, you'll understand joy. Love and live in my peace, and you'll understand peace. Live in my patience, and you'll understand patience. I'm patient with you. Listen, God is patient with you. And some of us, He should lose up patience, but He doesn't. Kind. He is so kind. No, we don't get what we want. I'm going to tell you something right now. I don't get what I want very often. But I'll tell you this. I always get what I need. Always. Always. Goodness. See, really it comes down to, this is the character of God. Can you proclaim in your heart that God is good? And God says, live in my goodness. Let it overflow. Gentleness. Oh, Remember, he sings over us. He's also gentle with us. Sometimes we deserve a good smack. But he's gentle. Not that he doesn't discipline at times. Hebrews chapter 12. But when he does, it's for our benefit. And it's because of his love. Self-control. Hear me? Self-control. How we need that in this day and age. And think about it again. God has self-control. Aren't you thankful? Because you see the things happening around this world? Just think if he didn't have self-control. I mean, there would be things flying from the spaces that would be just asteroids coming out of nowhere, volcanoes erupting, earthquakes happening all the time, and these strategic places. Earth open up just like in the Old Testament, people being swallowed up. No, the thing is to see God. Self-control. This is the things that God desires to do in and through each of us. If we just go back to a simple, basic truth, you are no longer under the law, sin has no more dominion over you, and God loves you. There's nothing else that needs to be said. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for this morning, and Lord, we just pray that each of us would receive what your Spirit would speak to each of us, Lord. Your goodness, your love, your faithfulness, your truth, Lord. We are witnesses of your truth this morning. I pray that each of us would receive this truth and accept it for the fact that your word declared it, you stand behind it, so be it. So my prayer for each of us, Lord, is that we would learn to walk in your love, walking in your spirit, walking in your truth, spending time with you to learn and grow in you, Lord. And Lord, help us not to think that something that we have to conjure up ourselves. It's just us making the time to do it. Bless this congregation, Lord, I pray. Bless it in such a way that you would impact each of us. Bless this congregation in such a way that we would again, Lord, be a light in this shaky world that they would find peace and love and joy here because Christ Jesus reigns and we are his bride. And we ask these things in his name. Amen.